The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Madden. I recently had the good fortune to attend Pharma USA 2022 at the Philadelphia Convention Center in fabulous Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And when I was there, I spoke with pharmaceutical industry leaders and health experts about what their focuses are and what they're looking at working on in 2022 and beyond. This is Steve Madden, I'm the general manager of MMM. Welcome to the MMM podcast, medical marketing and media show about healthcare marketing writ large. My guest today is Christy Shaw, the CEO of Kite, a Gilead company. Hi, Christy. Hi. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. How are you today? Good. I'm very good. Christy, you just explained to me that you're still on West Coast time a little bit, so um, we'll, uh, I won't make the questions too rapid fire. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Kite. What, uh, what are you focused on and what do you do every day? So focus is a great word because our mission at Kite is focus on the cure. And with every piece of scientific information and real-world evidence, we're actually coming closer and closer to realizing that dream. So recently, um, you know, we just released data at the American Society of Hematology demonstrating that patients who have lymphoma, who have failed three or more lines of therapy and really told that they have very little time left to live, uh, were put in, into a clinical trial that was then approved, and we found that almost half of those patients are alive at five years. That's great. Yeah. Uh, with, with your therapy? Yes. Yes. With, uh, yes, with tell, cell therapy. Tell us a little bit about that. So cell therapy, uh, you know, having been in the industry over 30 years, it's, it's very unique. It's really taking a patient's own T-cells, basically their bag of blood, and the authorized treatment center uh, that takes it from them sends it to us. And it's really a team sport because we're working together, closed-loop distribution system, where when we receive that blood, we re-engineer it. Every single patient is different, and we send their own blood back to them uh, to be re-infused that has um, been re-engineered and expanded to fight their cancer. Fascinating. So it's using the patient's own body. Yes. Yeah. Um, It's amazing because everybody talks about patient centricity across all disciplines and, and all areas of therapies. This literally is patient-centric. Personalized a medicine, right. yeah, to a T, yes. So you mentioned that you've been in the industry for 30 years. Tell me a little bit about your background. What have you been doing for 30 years? <laughs> sure. So, you know, I started in this field um, out of college because I was the first person to go to college in my family. I'm from rural Iowa. My mom was very philanthropic, and my dad was a businessman. And so this, to me, was a, a career that really combined both. And Where did you go to college? Iowa State. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, go Cyclones. <laughs> and so, you know, throughout my career, I've been in so many different disease states, small molecules, um, antibodies, infusions in cardiovascular, infectious disease, um, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, immunotherapies, mental health, Alzheimer's disease. But this therapy in oncology really... Um, has touched my heart because my mom died of breast cancer in 1996. And at that time, we didn't have all of the internet information at your fingertips, knowing what to do. She was in rural Iowa. She never got a second opinion, um, or we never asked her to get a second opinion. 
and uh, she died of breast cancer the year the aromatase inhibitors were approved, which had she gotten to an institution that was doing the clinical trial, she would have lived. So fast forward years later, my sister's diagnosed with multiple myeloma, and I am leading uh, Novartis. I am the U.S. country head for Novartis at the time, and that was in 2016. Um, I actually announced my resignation to, to, to care for her as she went through this cell therapy treatment for multiple myeloma. So we stayed two months at UPenn. Uh, unfortunately for her, um, it didn't work. Uh, multiple myeloma just got, cell therapy for multiple myeloma just got approved recently. Um, but uh, following her death, which was about four years ago, I was recruited to become the CEO of Kite. And because it was so near and dear to my heart and I saw the data of what cell therapy could do in blood cancers, I wanted to be a part of it. I'm sorry to hear about your, your sister's passing you. um, and your mom's as well. But it's, it's amazing to me how many people working in this field have personal stories about that and, and personal motivations like that. And uh, it's uh, it's what can get you out of bed in the morning. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you're really um, passionate about this. Let's talk specifically a little bit about CAR T-cell therapy. Uh, and that's that's kind of the area of focus for Kite right now, yes. right? Can, you know, you, you mentioned it briefly, but let's get a little more specific about it. Sure. So typically what happens is a patient goes to a community physician um, and are diagnosed um, with lymphoma. We, there's three different types of lymphoma that um, Kite has a therapy for. There's mantle cell lymphoma, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is also called follicular lymphoma, and large B-cell lymphoma. So lots of different types of uh, lymphomas uh, out there, but so far we've worked on every one of them. And then we just got approval recently for um, ALL, which is a type of leukemia, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And so four new indications um, in the last three years. Uh, so as we look at the number of patients we're treating, and we have a, a new indication, um, our PDUFA date is April 1st, to move up in lines of therapy. So instead of using cell therapy as a last resort, you could actually use it um, second line. Second line, not, but not primary. Right, okay. yes. They have um, what's called RCHOP, which is a type of chemotherapy, and rituximab that has a, um, about a 50 to 60% cure rate. Mm -hmm. So that's the first option. But about 30 to 40% of patients will fail that. And those 30 to 40% of patients hopefully will have cell therapy available to them in the near future. So the community physician refers these patients to an authorized treatment center. There's about, um, right now there's 112 in the U.S., 270 worldwide. And that patient then needs to go to the treatment center, and that's where the process starts of collecting their T-cells, um, sending it to us, and then we re-engineer them. It takes about 17 days for us to, for the, once they send us, Aphoris and send it to us, and us shipping it back, on average, it's 17 days. They go back into the hospital to have it infused, and they need to stay around the hospital because um, uh, in safety the, in, monitoring. Like in the hospital or adjacent to? Adjacent to, okay. yeah. They only have to be in the hospital if they have um, safety events, which happens um, quite often because it is a, you know, your immune system is um, trying to kill the cancer, and so sometimes it overreacts, um, and you need to be treated to kind of calm it down a bit. That's um, one of the big side effects. This sounds sort of like a paradigm shift in the way um, in the way you treat. Again, it goes back to you know patient patient centricity, but also um, the patient's own body, right? Yeah. I mean, is do you, do you guys consider this a, a, a game changer? Absolutely. I think this is um, 
this is really changing the landscape of medicine. You know, I think it's cell therapy is one of the first. You know, we all know about mRNA now with the vaccines, uh, gene therapy, and we're we're five years into this, and now being able to prove that it's the standard of care once the next approval comes um, is a, a huge paradigm shift. And and I think there's no better way to treat your diseases than your own body. And so being able to figure out how to help your body fight the diseases, I think is proving through cell therapy to be the best way um, versus um, other things that we've seen in the past, maybe giving you two or three months more of life. Um, or, you know, we, we celebrate um, a lot of, and I've celebrated with my sister, a lot of times she gets two or three months of life that bridged her to the next therapy um, and the next therapy. Uh, but to be able to say, hey, I have a 50% chance of getting one treatment using my own cells and I'm going to be alive years later and live my, a normal life um, is just incredible. Is it one and done? Yes, it's a one, it's that's, one time. That's amazing. Yeah. That's truly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It couldn't have been easy, though. I think about the, first of all, the, the science that went into this, then the approval process that went into this. What have been some of the biggest challenges that, uh, that Kites faced bringing this to market? You know, the, the biggest hurdle and the sadness that I have is that only out of, out of 10 eligible patients for the therapy, only two patients are getting it. And that other eight are being sent to palliative care. And, it's, and why is that? So um, many reasons. I think by the, by the time a patient is on later lines of therapy, they've been through so many treatments and so many side effects, and they're they may look frail. Um, and physicians are like you know you've been through so much, and you know CAR T can be a toxic therapy, and you're going to have to be away from your family for a couple of months um, when you go get this therapy because you're going to maybe go from Iowa to another big city and then do your apheresis, wait 17 days, then or you know go home, go back. And it's just an, you know, can be an arduous process. So now that we're um, able to move up, and when we're able to move up into earlier lines of therapy, that'll help the patients be able to, and the physicians be in a curative mindset. They're not thinking, oh, they're end of the line, they're going to die anyway, so send them to palliative care. They're thinking now, I send them for stem cell transplant for a cure. And now, if we get approved in the second line, I'm going to send them, send them for a potential cure, and these patients will come back to me. Do the patients have to go to uh, a, a set number, a dedicated number of treatment centers? A finite number, I yes. guess. I mean. Yeah, we've, we've been expanding them year after year, but there are just 112 right now in the U.S., so they have to go to one of those um, because you need, um, you need to have a neurologist on staff um, for some of the neurotoxicities that could happen, and you need to have an ICU bed in case you have severe side effects. So, so far that's true. We have had update to our label in the last year um, where um, we've been able to reduce the safety events by more than half by giving prophylactic steroids. And so there are improvements being made constantly to help patients not have to do that. And so eventually, you know, we're trying to get closer and closer into the community if we look into the future. What does that phrase safety events mean? So safety events, adverse events, the um, overreaction of the immune system that causes what's called CRS, which basically needs to be managed with steroids or with um, some other types of medicines. Yeah. I don't think I've done a podcast um, in the last two years where I haven't asked about the effects of the pandemic. You're developing this, you're bringing it to market, and you're doing it in a time when everybody, everybody and everything is locked down. How did the pandemic affect what you're doing here? So, you know, it's interesting. We've been growing, you know, 50% year over year in numbers of patients that we're treating. And 
the pandemic, uh, what happened during the pandemic surprised me. We did have, you know, um, our growth rate slowed. However, we were able to treat patients all through the pandemic and still grow double digits because patients are going to die without it. And physicians who really believe in it um, found a way to get it to patients, and we found a way. So I like to talk about cell therapy as a team sport, um, I've said before, because these patients send us their cells. We're holding them in our hands. We're re-engineering them. And during this process, the president announces a no-fly, no international flights. And here, this patient is in Europe, and we have their cells, and they need them back. And so it was all hands on deck, and it was really led by the front lines. We actually had an employee who used to um, have a job getting medical supplies to war-torn countries. And so he was a very big at helping us navigate the supply constraints. And we got on the top 10 medical list on the commercial airlines. So that, And we actually sometimes had to charter jets, and we'd put the doers. They look like R2-D2. We'd put the doers on a seat, mm-hmm. strap them in, uh, and we didn't miss a patient. Uh, we, we made sure every single patient got their cells. And so a team effort, but when you talk about patient centricity, that is a patient. And people's motivation to make sure that, that they, they got their cells back or that we got their cells and were able to give them back is a matter of life and death. Oh, absolutely. It's like I said uh, earlier, everybody talks about putting the patient at the center of the treatment. This, <laughs> this doesn't work without the patient at the center of the treatment. That's right. Were there any other lessons from the pandemic, just uh, in terms of what you're able to accomplish working remotely or virtually? Definitely, and I hope I hope some of them actually stay. So some of the things that happened is we did um, some of the regulatory approvals happened during the pandemic. Approvals for new indications, whether they were in Europe or the U.S. or different countries. Um, China uh, was approved. Japan was approved. And um, through that, you also have to have approval um, and audits. So they're, they're looking at our Amsterdam facility that was open during the pandemic. And we had to do it virtually. And we had Europe uh, do it, and then we had FDA shadowing them. And we were able to do it virtually. So being able to not have feet on the street all of the time and be able to do things more quickly, uh, and, and the accelerated approvals happened, the special protocol agreements happened, things, things really went well by using virtual technology that we don't always have to be there live and we don't have to wait so long when everybody can be there live. We can you know, manage it within our own time and schedule at home. So I hope that continues. And also the camaraderie between the healthcare system in terms of the providers and then the patients and the regulatory bodies and the industry, that system of teamwork, I hope that continues as well. That said, it's pretty great. I mean, we're sitting here on the, the floor of a show. It's pretty great to be live and in That's, person, yes, right? Yes, it is. And I love doing podcasts live rather than, than over the phone. So yeah. I appreciate you coming oh, out. thanks. One last question. What, what would you like to see achieved in CAR-T over the next few years? Where do you think it's headed? So, first of all, more patients getting it. Uh, you know, every eligible patient should have a chance at survival. We've, we've seen in our real-world evidence that even the most frail and elderly patients do just as well as our young patients. Um, you know, the 50-year-old healthy gentleman versus an older, you know, female uh, woman, they, the outcomes are the same. So I, my number one goal is that patients get the therapy and live their lives and have more moments with their loved ones. And, and then that it expands, that we expand the number of patients we treat because we're doing it earlier, and the number of diseases that we treat. Um, you know, we're in leukemia now, not just lymphoma, and we're also studying um, AML right now, and we're also improving, uh, instead of just 50% of patients, how do we 
make 100% of patients um, curable. That's great. It's like where else, you know, I know this is the big question being asked about mRNA technologies. It's like, you know, what else can we do with this? Can we use apply this treatment process to the herpes complex? Mm-hmm. You know, that, something like that. So it's great to see you expanding like that. So... Well, this has been great, Christy. Um, Thank you, Steve. My, my guest has been Christy Shaw, the CEO of Kite. We've been talking about uh, Kite's efforts in CAR-T. Christy, thanks very much for joining us. You've been listening to the MMM Podcast. I'm Steve Madden, General Manager of MMM. See you soon. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.